You're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. We are on, baby. Someone's got her melatonin up, or how does melatonin even work? I don't know how it works because I've done no research. So, <laughs> you haven't done research on melatonin? That's not your topic this week? No, but I just took it last night and I feel amazing. She's awake. She has no morning voice. Well, I was worried because I did look up after I'd taken it. I looked up like side effects and people are talking about having really bad nightmares and dreams. And I was like, oh crap, now I'm going to have nightmares because I already have like really lucid dreams. And I was like, now I'm like having anxiety about having nightmares, so I'm going to have them. But I didn't. I didn't have any dreams actually. Maybe just died for eight hours and then resurrected. (laughs) Hey, if I feel this good every morning, then it's worth it. (laughs) I feel like if I took melatonin, I would for sure get, like, the night terrors and the nightmares or whatever because I get them regularly anyway, so. Well, I usually do, too, but I try to, like, tell myself that I wouldn't get it, you know, like. Yeah, it doesn't work for me because I don't lucid dream. Oh, I do, and then I'm like, wait, I'm dreaming. I need to wake up before the shark me, like, comes and attacks me. I think that has happened to me twice when a dream goes on for so long and it's so bad for so long, and then I realize, like, oh, I can, I'm sleeping. You're sleeping, just wake up. And then, like, I wake up and I'm crying because the dream was so bad. I feel like I always know when I'm dreaming because I do this thing where I put my nail in my, like, finger to see if I can feel it. In a dream, you can't. But I thought everyone could do it. And then I read on Reddit something about, like, I want a lucid dream. I was like, wait, can't everyone do this? And then I realized it was a – but I've been doing that since I was little. Oh, nope, not me. Yeah. It's kind of cool, though, because then while you're dreaming, be like, wait, I control this. And you, if you're, like, relaxed enough, you can kind of control where the dream goes. But usually I just make myself wake up because it's usually during, like, a scary dream. Um, and I'm like, I'm like, oh, I think, like, a monster is going to come out of that corner. And then I'm like, crap, now it's definitely going to come out because I just thought about it. I need to wake up. So I, like, close my eyes really tight and then I wake up. So that's me. That's great. <laughs> How's your night? <laughs> <laughs> I can't remember. Cool. I don't think I had a dream <laughs> last night. So that's We were good. actually just born this morning. We were. Good morning, world. It is, uh, it's the morning. (laughs) It's eight o'clock. And we're here. Um, Oh, and we are the Good Evening Girls, and you're listening to Two Girls, One Crossword. Welcome to Two Girls, One Crossword. I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. Um, And we're about to get started on our episode this morning. Episode two. Episode two. I am wondering when we'll get to a point where we stop saying the episode number, like when it gets to like episode. Episode 355. (laughs) I hope we always say it. I hope we never change. Hold us to it listeners um okay (laughs) so before we get into our topics of the week yes do we have hits and shits of the crossword i only have shits or what did you want to call it like crossword research (laughs) crossword check-in fuck you very much no so before we get into hits and shits slash crossword check-in i wanted to do a quick corrections corner because it really annoyed me when i re-listened to the episode that i didn't catch myself saying something incorrectly so at the top of the episode of last week's episode i talked about Queen Victoria's first daughter's first son, no, yes, named Wilhelm II, and I said that he was the king of Germany during World War II, and that's not true. He was the king of Germany during World War I, and he was the reason that Germany lost World War I, not World War II. I think we actually lost listeners due to that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I would stop listening. I'd be like, uh, that is incorrect. Um, I'm, I'm sure I made mistakes, but they cannot be held against me. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. I'm calling immunity. Cool. Anyway, so that is my uh, corrections corner. So we, shall we hop into hits and shits? Yeah. Cool. Do you want to go? I can go. So, okay. So we know that in crosswords, clues and answers have to have the same tense. Mm-hmm. And including, like, if the clue is plural, then the answer is plural. So, like, Honda cars would be civics and right. Honda car would be civic. Well, 
on uh which one was this this was tuesday ah. on tuesday new york times crossword puzzle one of the clues was cheesy snack which is singular and the answer was nacho which is singular well you know nacho what? is not how, what you call nachos you never yes. say just singular nacho right so i didn't like that clue and that answer i they could have done blank libre to do nacho libre i just feel like right yeah no i agree i think um just or like nacho cheese but like nachos is a singular dish yeah just like carnitas is a dish you want to say can i have a, a nacho like yeah you would order oh, can i have some nachos you're a monster yeah Anyway, that is a shit. Yeah, so good job, Will Shorts. You probably never had nachos in your life, you <laughs> nerd. Um, another, another shit, another blow. Um, they ran NRA again in the crossword. Right. They so, love the NRA. They do. And I only want to kind of bring it up once, maybe, because they do this all the freaking time. <laughs> she only wants to bring it up once an episode. <laughs> <laughs> they do this all the time. They list NRA as the answer, and the clue is always related to the National Rifle Association, which is like a white supremacist group here in the United States of America. Um, and it's just really um, unaware or... Yeah, because it'll be like an organization that cares about legislation or something like that. And it's like that. Yeah, it's very. Um, and we aren't the only ones that don't like this. This no. is like a big bugaboo, if you will. Yeah, and if you follow on Twitter, like yeah. people are constantly complaining about this. Um, and I wanted to know if we should start doing an NRA count, like how many times they use the National Rifle Association as an answer in the crossword. And it could be something like a buzzer at the top of each episode. And it's like, we got three this week. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like usually they use it once. A week. Like they don't use it multiple times in a week, but they do right. use it a lot. And so that got me thinking, like, are there any other NRAs out there in the world? And there are. If you just Google NRA and then do disambiguation on Wikipedia, like there's a list of NRAs, various forms of them. And I wanted to say a couple of them. Um, there's the National Rivers Association in the United Kingdom. Beautiful. Hello. That's important. There is the National Restaurant Association of the United States of America. I mean, hello. And then there's the New Red Arrow, which is a Japanese train, like one of those, like, fast ones. That the go- bullet trains? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, those are just three out of a list that I just found on Wikipedia this morning. Like, yeah. Can we... But people aren't... Those aren't well known, so I feel like the National Restaurant Association, we need to lift it up so that people associate NRA with that yes. instead. I think that one's, that one's our best bet. Yeah, and if you're doing the crossword frequently enough, you know that they need to use the letter combinations of N, R, and A next to each other. I mean, if you... People know, so just yeah. put the fucking National Restaurant Association. Anyway. It's all just agree that that's the new NRA. <laughs> yeah. And I'll let Will Shorts know. <clears throat> yeah, we'll write him a quick letter. Um, I have two hits that I want to talk about. Um, Sunday's Crossword, um, the 2nd of June, was edited by Eric Agard, and his theme was Stoner Film Festival, which was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think relevant for Grace and I, we, were living in Il- we live in Illinois, and... Um, Illinois is the 11th state to legalize marijuana, which I want to note is going to clear approximately 700,000 convictions for marijuana-related things. Yeah. So that's, like, a positive. Anyway, so I just wanted to go over some of the, like, the themed answers. They were so funny, and I think Grace would like them because she likes punny shit. Um, So some answers were puff pieces, pot shots, high drama, smoke bomb, (laughs) joint resolution, rolling in the aisles, baked ham, and direct hits. I like that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, you don't usually see, like, weed-related stuff in New York Times Crossword Puzzle. No. And Erica Gard is, like, one of the younger millennial yeah. constructors. Um, my last hit is I was on Twitter this morning, and I found I, 
thousands of people follow this, but it's NYT underscore first underscore said. And it's a Twitter account that just shares words like the first time that they are ever used in the New York Times oh. ever. And that crossword, just like the New York Times publication, which is funny. Uh-huh. And from 19 hours ago, there was the first time wife was used with eight eyes. <laughs> so that's all the tweet was. It's just a very fun, like, quirky, yeah. like, word. I like that. Yeah. Um, so we follow it on Twitter. Where can people follow us on Twitter? People can follow us at the Good Eve Girls. We couldn't do Good Evening Girls. It was, it was too, too long. long. You can also follow us individually. Yes. I'm Grace Topinka. And I'm Chelsea Rowan. I'm Grace Topinka everywhere, and I have no Twitter followers, so please follow me. It's very. <laughs> I'm just yelling my tweets into the void. <laughs> she needs somebody to validate her. Yes. Please validate her. It's getting too much for me. <laughs> yeah, Chelsea really is the only one who interacts with me on Twitter. It's quite sad. Okay, but to be fair, I like just started being active on there. It's true. She's new. She's the new kid. I'm the new kid on the block. Please new let me eat at your lunch table. Got a bunch of hits. No, she doesn't. <laughs> Chinese food makes me sick. All right. All right, kids. Should we do the toy toy cost? The toy cost. Let's do the toy cost, everybody. Um, I am I'm tails. Heads. Grace's tails, and we are flipping. <laughs> Very exciting for people to listen. Tails. That's me. Grace goes first this week. Okay. No pressure. Let me open my research. So. My topic this week comes from the Wednesday New York Times crossword done by, drumroll please, as I pull it up, um, Rich Prowks. Sorry, I butchered Prowl. that last I would have said Prowl. Ends with an X. But it could be French, and in French they don't pronounce the X. All right, Rich. Um, so I'm doing his theme clue. Okay. So his theme clue was monuments of classical antiquity or what literally is missing from this puzzle. Okay. So the answer was seven wonders. And um, for an example, one of, there were seven times that, that wonder was missing from the answer. So big superhero film of 2017, the answer in the crossword was woman, but it's missing Wonder Woman. There's also Wonder Bread, One Hit Wonder, and so on. Great. Yeah. So I was like, I'm, I want to research the seven wonders of the world because All right. I have been confused as to what I think is like, ev- I've heard like Machu Picchu, Everest, Christ the Redeemer. Like what is actually the seven wonders yeah, of the world? Yeah, that's good because I think there's there's different What I've learned is there right? are no rules. The world is chaos, okay? Um, Wake up, sheeple. Yeah. <laughs> the seven wonders is not real. Um, you'll see. So. The, the clue oh, talks see. about um, creations of classical antiquity. Yes. That's the original seven wonders of the world. Seven wonders of the ancient world. And what you probably know, classical antiquity means it's like the Greco-Roman yes. world of 8th century B.C. through 6th century A.D. Now I know the dates. Yeah. So these are all ancient buildings and creations. Um, and they were based on guidebooks that were popular at that time. And it only includes places around the Mediterranean At what Rim time? and during Mesopotamia during like antiquity? eighth century. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it only includes places around the Medi- Mediterranean Rim and Mesopotamia. And the number seven was chosen because the Greeks thought that seven represented perfection and plenty. Duh, that's how it is in most religions, right? <laughs> yeah, and also because it was the number of the five planets known at the time, plus the sun and the moon. So, okay. Nerds. Um, <laughs> <You> big geek. <laughs> So here are the ones, the original seven wonders. Okay. The Great Pyramid of Giza in Egypt, which is the mm-hmm. only one that's still around today. The rest of these aren't around anymore. Um, the oh, col- wow. Really? Yeah. Crazy. The Colossus of Rhodes um, mm-hmm. in Greece. It's a statue of the Greek god Helios. 
Hanging Gardens of Babylon, which is present-day Iraq um, and its tiered gardens. Could you imagine seeing that, though? You can on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously, it's like recreations of yeah. it. Um, it looks really cool. I, yeah, I highly suggest like just looking up the ancient seven wonders because they are beautiful. Obviously, they're wonders. And um, they're ancient. <laughs> lighthouse of Alexandria, which is a lighthouse, obviously, in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Um, mausoleum at Halicarnassus, which uh, is in modern-day Turkey, or it would be in modern-day Turkey, and that's a tomb. Um, Statue of Zeus at Olympia in Greece, and the Temple of Artemis at Ephesus, uh, which is also present-day Turkey. So those were the original seven, but like mm-hmm. I said, only one of them. I, the, the only one I really know from that list was the Great Pyramid of Giza. I didn't know the rest, but again, I'm not like into history, so I don't know. I'm familiar with like the well, Statue of Zeus sounds familiar. Statue of Zeus, the Rose of uh, Colossus, the Artemis one, but, and the Hanging Tower, the Hanging Garden. So all of them. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't know that they were seven wonders, though. I would not have known that they were seven wonders. No. Yeah. Or so, the ancient seven wonders. When I think seven wonders, I think like the. Great Wall of China. Yeah, so we'll get there. So then, in the 19th and 20th century, a bunch of writers came out with their own Seven Wonder lists. <laughs> Great. Okay? And um, this list is known as Seven Wonders of the Middle Ages. Uh, and But a lot of people say that these structures were built before the Middle Ages and Medieval. I don't know. There's all this like argument about mi- Middle Ages and Medieval and these things that I, I couldn't <laughs> get into because I didn't care. But, <laughs> again, there's no hard and fast list. Right. There's a million different lists, but there I love are... that like you're doing this topic, yeah. and I feel like if I was doing this topic, I would have given you like eight, yeah. like the timeline from the beginning of like time, time yeah. to now. <laughs> like, well, this is the Middle Ages, the medieval times, the Dark Ages started. Yeah, no, I'm just trying to get into the meat here. Yeah, there are get se- it to it. There are seven that are um, like what people say are the, the, the typical ones that keep okay. coming across on these lists. Yeah. And, okay, so I realized when I was looking at these, some of these I knew, a lot of ones that are either in the U.S. or Europe, mm-hmm. but ones that aren't, I don't know that much about because of how school yeah, works, or like what you learn in history. Yeah. So I'm I'm not going into, like, every single one, but I am going into the ones that I didn't really know that much about, and maybe oh. other people also didn't know that cool. much about. So... Um, I'm going to do the ones that people know. So the Colosseum mm-hmm. in Rome, Italy. Obviously. The great, have you been to the Colosseum? I have. Same. Um, the Great Wall of China in China. I would love to go to the Great Wall. Me too. The Leaning Tower of Pisa. Been there, done that. How do you pronounce that? Is it Pisa? Pizza? No, it's Pisa. Pizza? <laughs> um, and Stonehenge in England. Been there, done that. I've also been there recently. And there are a bunch of crows around. <gasps> Spooky. Yeah. No, actually, they're really nice. Stonehenge they're, is like massive. It is. It's also in the middle of nowhere. There's it is, nothing. Yeah. It's like in the middle of farm country, basically. Yeah. I still, to this day, like when I, when we were there, I was in high school, and you just can't fathom how these things. I don't know. Yeah. It's like very difficult to like wrap your head around these ancient. Well, the museum shows how they did it, which how they like pulled mm-hmm. these giant slabs. It's, it's interesting, but also I find more interesting that back in the day you used to be able to like walk up to the stones. And then the stones started falling, and they were like, wait, maybe we should have people. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah. No shit. It's a freaking seven wonder. So those are the ones that we know. So here are the ones that I didn't know. Um, The catacombs of Qom el Shakapa, located in Egypt. This might be something that a lot of people know, and I'm just... I don't know that one. Um, So the catacombs is like a tomb. Mm -hmm. So the Qom el Shakapa... I'm probably. I know I'm pronouncing this wrong. Uh, She's it, trying. It means mound of shards because it used to contain um, a mound of terracotta shards, because back in the day people would visit the tomb and bring like 
food and wine to drink there, but then they didn't want to bring these plates back with them because they've been to this, like, place of death. So they would just shatter them and leave them there. Wow. At the discovery, heaps of broken plates were found. So it was in use from 2nd century to 4th century, and then it was rediscovered in 1900 when a donkey accidentally fell into the access shaft. Shit. Um, and due to the time period, many of the features of the catacombs uh, merge Roman, Greek, and Egyptian culture. So some, like, they'll have statues that are Egyptian in style, but they're wearing, like, Roman clothes and have Roman Yo, hair. Yeah, that is so cool. Yeah. Um, and then another feature of the catacombs. Is that still around? This- yeah. Yes. You can still go there. Another feature of the catacombs is the Hall of Caracalla, which has all the bones of the horses of Emperor Caracalla. So it's a bunch of horse bones. That's so interesting. Yeah. So that's that one. Another one um, that I didn't know was the, okay, it's it's spelled H-A-G-I-A, but it seems online it's pronounced Aya, Aya Sophia Cathedral in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, it was built in 537 A.D., in the beginning of the Middle Ages, and it was famous because it has a gigantic dome. And at the, you know this one. I'm familiar with this one. At the time, it was the world's largest building. It was an engineering, mo- uh, engineering marvel of its time, and it's considered the epitome of Byzantine, Byzantine architecture. Byzantine architecture, I yeah. thought that, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so-and-so was the mm-hmm. epitome of Byzantine architecture. <laughs> um, and it, it's, it has said to have changed the history of architecture forever. So that's a big deal. And it's also huge. From Did the you look at pictures of it? Yes. It's beautiful. The other one I didn't know was the Porcelain Tower of Nanjing, located on the south bank um, of Nanjing, which is in China, the People's Republic of China. So this is a pagoda that was constructed in the 15th century during the Ming Dynasty. Um, it's built with white porcelain bricks that were said wow. to reflect the sun's rays during the day. And then at night, um, as many as 140 lamps were hung from the building to illuminate the tower. That's why it's called the Porcelain Tower. Glazes and stoneware were worked into the porcelain and created a mixture of green, yellow, brown, and white designs on the side of the tower, including animals, flowers, and landscapes. It was also decorated with a lot of Buddhist symbols and images. So this was mostly destroyed in the 19th century during the um, Taiping Rebellion, and they destroyed the tower so that people couldn't use it as like a lookout, but mm-hmm. also because they were um, super, they had a superstitious fear of the geomantic properties, aka feng shui, of the way the tower was built. Oh. Um, but then in 2010, a man named Wang Jianlin, a Chinese businessman, he donated the equivalent of 156 million U.S. dollars to the city of Nanjing to reconstruct it, and this is reportedly the largest single donation ever made in China. Wow. Yeah. So I didn't so know. So what's the update on that construction? Is it still going? It. Um, no, I think they did. Well, actually, I don't know. It, the, from the pictures, it looks like it's. Oh, it's so it's there. done. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, and I had never heard of that before. Yeah, I wish um, I had that much money to just drop on. I know. If, that is the kind of stuff I would. I'd be like, you know what? <laughs> that, yeah, that's where my money would go. Partially where my money would go. $156 million. Go. Holy crap. Um, okay, so other common ones that sometimes pop up, but like I said, there's no hard and fast rules here. <laughs> um, the Cairo Citadel, which is a medieval defensive wall in Egypt. The Cluny Abbey, which is a monastery in France. Mm-hmm. The Eli Cathedral, which is a cathedral in England. And the Taj Mahal, which is the mausoleum in India. Nice. So those sometimes, because I thought Taj Mahal was a seven wonder. Seven wonder right. But it's not on this list. Okay. Okay. So then. Do we have, are we getting into natural wonders? Almost. We have one more step. So in the 2000s, this group called New Seven Wonders, all one word, the seven is a number, this is like very early 2000. Oh it was like a campaign to make a new Seven Wonders list. <laughs> it's like, can't because we the just old... enjoy what we have? Right. 
Um, God, what did they put on there? Okay. So two ones came over from the original list, the Great Wall of China and the Colosseum. Okay. Then there were five new ones. Okay. One was Petra, which is an archaeological city in Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ the Redeemer, which is that gigantic Jesus statue in Brazil, which mm-hmm. I, I thought that that one was a seven wonder. Well, it maybe is on this list. Yeah. Um, Machu Picchu in Peru. Okay. Um, Chichen Itza, which is the pre pre-Columbian Mayan city in Mexico. It's outside of Cancun. If you've ever taken like a cruise that stops in Cancun, this is like the day trip to go to Chichen Itza. Um, and then the Taj Mahal made okay. it on. There it is. And then they had an honorary candidate, the Great Pyramid of Giza. It's like, hello, that's the original. And you're right. making an honorary yeah, candidate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. That's like, I'd be salty as fuck if I was like the Great Pyramid and they didn't put me on. I'm yeah. like... When I was your age, I was an ancient seventh wonder. <laughs> and now everyone likes Christ the Redeemer. Um, okay, so then <laughs> now we're going into natural wonders. Cool. Again, there's no consensus on this, okay? <laughs> there's a million different lists. Believe your heart. But CNN. Follow your soul. I'm going with CNN's list. Okay. Okay, so they say um, Aurora in the Arctic and, in, and Antarctica. The Aurora is like the... The Borealis. Yeah, the fancy lights and stuff. The green and colorful lights. Um, the Grand Canyon in the U.S. Okay, makes sense. The Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Australia. It's almost gone, folks. We all watch Finding Nemo. We've all watched Finding Nemo. <laughs> Our planet just came out. Watch it. Cry a little bit about the reef and walruses. It is a seventh wonder. It's gonna, natural wonder, it's sorry. It's going to disappear, and then it's not going to be a wonder anymore. It's just going to be a wonder in my It'll dreams. just be an honorary mention. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh the harbor God. of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. I don't know that. Um, yeah, it's just... The harbor of Rio de I don't know what I didn't look into it what makes that okay. I mean it, I'm sure it's beautiful sure obviously okay um Mount Everest um, people are dying on Mount Everest I right know now. dude the line's too long like chill stay out. home yeah this is what I have to say like white people just need to learn how to stay the hell home yeah. you know like they're spending thousands of dollars to go climb a mountain that they're gonna die on that is like the epitome you of, can like, die white for people. way cheaper than <laughs> yeah. that okay um just move to America you can't get your your medication <laughs> Uh, the, uh, the sixth one is the Pari Kutin Volcano, located in Mexico. Cool. Um, it's a little outside Mexico City, so I never heard of this either. This was a volcano that it surged suddenly from a cornfield in what? the nineteen in 1943. Yes, a farm- 1943. That's or, like crazy. recent. Um, a farmer was out there and like smelled sulfur and heard something rumbling, and then like it started geysering Shit. or whatever. So it erupted from 1943 to 1952. Unusually long for this type of volcano. I feel like I didn't even know volcanoes erupted for years. I thought they like erupted once, um, but apparently not. It had several eruptive phases, and it's the reason why it's so important because it was the first time that um, volcanologists, volcanologists, were able to fully document the entire life cycle of a volcano. Wow! And it's now a tourist attraction, so you can crawl. It's supposedly dormant if you believe the government, <laughs> and you can crawl all the way to the top. Wake up, sheeple! Yeah, wake up. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Go to Everest. It's easier to die. Um, and then the last one is, yeah. No, actually, volcano's easier. Probably cheaper. Well, that, well cheaper, I guess, yeah. And faster. faster. It's not as tall as Everest, okay. obviously. All right. And um, then the seventh one is Victoria Falls, which is a giant waterfall um, between Zambia and Zimbabwe. Oh, my God. I would love to go to Victoria Falls. I actually have a friend that I went to grad school with. He was just there. And it was all over his Instagram, and I was just yeah. I didn't know this existed. It's it's like Niagara Falls, but better. I know. I'm gonna. Talk I'm sorry. About it. Okay. So it's not not the highest or the widest in the world. However, it is classified as the largest based on its combined width of 5,600 feet and height of 350 feet. 
resulting in the world's largest sheet of falling water. So it's roughly twice the height of Niagara Falls and well over twice the width of Horseshoe Falls, which is the big fall of Niagara Falls. Um, it goes through six gorges, and this is kind of interesting. So after water leaves the second gorge, there's a deep pool that they call the boiling pot. And when the water's low, it's smooth, but when the water picks up, it's like really uh, turbulent and like big, slow swirls. And this is where things that fall over the waterfalls end up. So like people, animals, including like hippopotamuses and alligators, they'll like be float swirling around in this pool. Um, and it's a huge tourist site for <laughs> for local people mm -hmm. and also a, lot, a bunch of foreign people. My eyes are yeah. like the size of quarters right now. So that's that. Wow. So that's the natural wonders. And then... <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. In 2003, because I've heard some of these on this list come up as a wonder, okay, too. Yeah. Um, British author Deborah Cadbury wrote Seven Wonders of the Industrial World, and it was later made into a series on BBC. However, I have a bone to pick because all of these locations are either in the U.S. or the U.K., Oh, so, my God. I know. I'm going to go over and what, this. what year was this? In 2003. Okay. Was was um, the big building in Dubai, was that built yet? I don't know. And then? Anyway, no, it doesn't matter. There's a tons of buildings yeah. in Asia. Yeah. No, this is Or bad. South America. So, um, one of them, these is the SS Great Eastern, which is an iron sailing steam, steamship from London that I never heard of. Cool. The British Bell, people. Bell Rock Lighthouse, which is in Scotland. The Brooklyn Bridge in New York. Okay. The London Sewage System <laughs> in London. Great. Thank God the sewage system made the list. Um, the first transcontinental railroad, which crossed okay. the Strait of Nebraska, Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, and California. So okay. that's considered a industrial wonder. The Panama Canal in Panama. That's the only one that's not. Sorry, that one's in South America. And then the Hoover Dam in the U.S. There's others. There's got to be. I know. Um, so, yeah, that was that. Okay. And... In case you want to know, there's a million seven wonders list. You, you, there's like underwater wonders, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I'm going to make my own seven wonders list. Let's so do it. I made seven wonders of the early heart. 90s or 90s, early 2000s childhood. Beautiful. Here she goes. One, Tamagotchis. Yeah. Two, Gushers slash Fruit by the Foot. Oh, my God. You can still get them today. It's just, just. Yeah. It's not the same. It's not. But it's, it, it fills <laughs> it your heart like with childhood. joy. It fills your heart with joy. Three, Lunchables. Oh. Four, All That. Yes. Five, candy that looked like something adults would use, like laundry soap, cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> um, light up Velcro sneakers. Mm -hmm. And the last one, not realizing how much the world sucks. <laughs> That's my final wonder of childhood. Happy morning time. <laughs> so, yeah, those are my, that's my seven wonders list. I so like that list. All that I learned was that there's no hard and fast rules here. There's not. Um I think what will be good is we just added a blog to our website, which is www.thegoodeveninggirls.com. I think it would be really cool if, Grace, you could put your, like, these seven wonder lists, just, like, a bunch of them into the blog. blog. So people can click through and see, like, pictures and stuff like that. Yeah. You down for that? Maybe. I can just <laughs> we'll link see. it to the don't, Wikipedia article. <laughs> don't get your hopes up, folks. <laughs> just a cheeky little suggestion. All right. Your turn. Okay. So I'm ready to hop right in, and for my topic this week, I picked... <laughs> what are you laughing at? <laughs> Nothing is the way you intro that. It was very, like, I'm starting a, a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> I'll warm up. I'll warm up. Okay. You need to, like, sit in a chair backwards with, like, a hat. You know how teachers try to relate <laughs> to kids. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> yeah. Um, Today we're going to talk about... My topic this week is code switching, um, which was... Huh? 
code switching. It was in the Sunday crossword that okay. you didn't do. I did the crossword this the Sunday crossword this weekend. Um, it was on six two, so the second of June, and the constructor was Erica Gard. Um, and so before I tell you like what the clue was, I want to talk a little bit about the constructor. Erica Gard. Um, He's a crossword constructor. He's like a millennial crossword constructor. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we have done his puzzles before. He does like for the New Yorker, New Yorker and the New York Times. Yeah. Um, and I first put a face to a name when I was watching an interview between him and Anna Sheckman for the New Yorker. Um, and the title of the interview was Inside the Minds of New Age Crosswords or New Crossword Constructors. So they're like young and hip and like trying to yeah, change. I, I wish we, we could do that. Well, I mean, maybe I, I couldn't. We can. I don't know. I could do one that was, like, very pop culture. I don't know. Yeah. We'll discuss later. <laughs> yes. We'll, we'll look into this. We'll, we'll report back. Anyway, so I really like Eric. And, like, when you see when I see his name come up on the crosswords, I got really excited. That's why I did the Sunday crossword. Yeah. And he did the stoner one yes. that, you, that you talked about earlier. Exactly. So it's just, like, relevant contemporary. and Fun. Because you know, that's why we do crosswords, when they're fun. Right. Like, and we love good wordplay and, like... Right when it's all when all of it is just like crap trivia, like arcane trivia, like only old white guys know. Then it's like, what's the point? Like, yeah. We can't even do the crossword because if we're not old and we're not, you know, men, then like we're not gonna be able to <laughs> answer these questions. Yeah. Anyway, whatever. So the clue on Sunday that the answer was code switching was seventy one down, and it's a shift from one dialect to another depending on the social context. That was the clue. Oh. And so the answer is code switching, which there. I knew of code switching in, like, uh, a vague sense. Like, I know that people do that. I do that. You do that. We all do it <clears throat> in I one didn't way or another. No, it had a name, though. But I didn't know it had a name. So I thought this is really interesting, and I wanted to research it and, like, you know, whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, it was – I was aware of it as, like, a linguistic phenomenon, but I became more recently aware of this in the film Sorry to Bother You by Boots Riley. Yes. Where the character is a telemarketer, and mm-hmm. he switches from – his real... His, he's, he's black. He's black. And he switches from his true voice to his white voice. Like, that's the whole premise of the film. And it's actually voiced over by a white actor. Yes. Voices his white person voice. Yes. And it's, like, very startling at first when you're watching the film, but that is, like, an ex, uh, an exact... Not exaggeration, necessarily, but a... Yeah, like a yeah. exaggerated version of what people actually do have to do. Right. Okay. So. Oh, and, and in the movie, when he does that, he ends up getting, like, all these promotions and rising up in the company because he knows how to do this voice. Right. Exactly. Um, so what is code switching? I have a couple definitions because I think each definition kind of sheds light on what it is and the evolution of what code switching used to be considered and what it's considered now, especially among millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, so according to Merriam-Webster, it's the switching between the linguistic system of one language or dialect to that of another. Dictionary.com says it's the alternating or mixed use of two or more languages, especially within the same discourse. So that's key because the previous definition didn't say the mixing of two languages, yeah, which is a version of code switching, which I'll get into. And then A.T. McWilliams, in an article from The Guardian, um, he kind of put it the most casually, it's the act of altering how you express yourself based on your audience. So not necessarily just through language, language or just through spoken language. Yeah. Body language, baby. Yep. Read my lips. Yes. So I'm not a linguist, 
at all. You're not? I'm but not. This, <laughs> why are you a liar? But, uh, you know, we do crosser, so we like, you know, language. Um, anyway, let's talk about the origin of code switching. So the term code switching was coined by Enar Hagen, who is an American linguist, and he termed it in 1954. And he was seeking to, like, describe the fluid nature with which multilingual people meet, move between languages. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has since expanded to capture how individuals adjust to all forms of communication and expression based on their audience. So it's not just about Being language. bilingual. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's about all types of language. Um, and Hagen also coined the term schizoglossia, which is a linguistic insecurity or language complex about one's native language, which I think are closely related in that some people tend to code switch. Mm-hmm based on some perceived stigma that they have about maybe their native language. Yeah. So, um, so for instance, like, viewing French maybe higher than Haitian Creole yeah. is a form of schizoglossia, mm-hmm. which I think people tend to code switch between French and Haitian Creole. Yeah. Anyway, so usage of the word. In the 1940s and 50s, many scholars considered code switching to be a substandard use of language. So, like, if you were code switching, you were considered ignorant. Yeah. Um, But since the 80s, most scholars have come to regard it as normal and a natural byproduct of bilingual and multilingual language use. Yeah. Obviously. As it should be. Yeah. Um, In pop culture, code switching is sometimes used to refer the relatively stable informal mixtures of two languages, such as Spanglish, Taglish, or Kinglish. Mm -hmm. So that's like a version of code switching. Yeah. Which, so I grew up in Miami and a lot of my friends, English was their parents' second language. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot, like everyone spoke Spanglish, Konglish, which is like Korean and English. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, French-ish? <laughs> Franglish? Um, but yeah, everyone has like, or some people are totally fluent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I feel like it's so common, especially now yeah. with like everyone, you know, everyone's like such a mix. Yeah, for sure. Um, that a lot of times, like, the full language isn't being passed down to generations. Exactly. Like, my mom is Cuban, so she speaks Spanish. I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I'm, like, decent in Spanish, more like Spanglish. And mm-hmm. I wonder, as generations go on, like, with my cousins and stuff who have two parents who are both Cuban, like, is Spanish going to continue or is there going to be more of this, like, Spanglish language that's going to be passed down? Exactly. And I think, too, we to talk about schizoglossia as well, I feel like there are people who have... They might be. They might move to the United States where English people speak English, mm-hmm. right, a lot, and their native language might be Spanish, and they might have some form of schizoglossia where they are insecure about their native language, and so they try not to speak their native language, and then they don't pass the language on to their children. And well, like this, yeah. there's a form of code switching there where, like, when they're home, they'll speak Spanish, but when they're at school, they're only going to speak English. Well, I know of a lot. I, I think it's different in Miami because a lot of people speak Spanish there. But I have heard before that sometimes, like, kids of, of immigrants, their parents don't want them to speak Spanish because they don't want them to be – they want them to, like, be able to fit in or, like, assimilate yes. the culture. And then they don't learn This is a phenomenon Spanish. that yeah. I read about. And, like, the immigrant parents, like, f- trying not to teach them the native language or kind of, like, stamping it out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read an article last night about how millennials, they're proud of being able to code switch. Yeah. And they're not ashamed of it anymore. And, like, a lot of people are kind of reclaiming their culture and their language because code switching is less of a derogatory thing, quote, unquote, considered. Yeah. Um, and No, as it should know. be. I think and more people, like, I wish my Spanish was better and I would love to take Spanish classes to, like, yeah. make it better. Yeah. 
but yeah, I think it was just a different time. It was then. Code switching, um, to get back to like the usage of the word, can also be used to refer to switching among dialects, styles, or registers. So it's not just about switching between Spanish and English or Korean and English, whatever. Um, so an example of that is African American vernacular English as they move from less formal to more formal settings, such as shifts when performed by public figures, such as politicians, and and like politicians are sometimes criticized of like, you know, speaking more quote unquote proper. Yeah versus their natural, you know, dialer, yeah. dialect or vernacular. Exactly. So why do people code switch? <laughs> I could, like, really get into the theory here, and I almost did, but I ended up deleting a lot of information <laughs> because I, I'm really interested in the theory, but I'm not trying to bog y'all down. But so why do people code switch? I have, like, a list. So there could be, like, a particular topic. So, for instance, people code switch during discourse about a particular topic because it requires a specific language. So whether it's you're writing about Greek literature, so you switch from English to Greek, that's code switching. Yeah. Or it could be going from casual discourse to, say, an academic discussion. You and I are sitting here saying like and um and hmm and ha, but as soon yeah. as, like, our professor walks through, we are not in school, but if a professor <laughs> walked through the door and we wanted to talk about something academic, we would switch the way we speak to be able to talk to them in a more academic way. Yes. So. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> indubitably. So quoting someone, people have to switch codes while quoting another person. Yeah. Solidarity and gratitude. While expressing gratitude or solidarity, people that people may speak in ways that express these feelings. Mm-hmm. Clarification. Speakers may alter their speech when listeners have trouble understanding how they communicated. This was huge for me. I mean, I think like being as a white American, I don't often code switch, and that that's like something that is a privilege, like in built into my white privilege. Yeah. But I have like a very faint dialect from South Philly. Yeah. And so when I go to different places and order certain types of foods or whatever, people from other places have no idea what I'm saying. Yeah. The first time I came to Chicago, I ordered I ordered a glass of water. Yeah. And the waitress looked at me and said, excuse me? And I said, can I have a glass of water? And again, she said, excuse me. And I realized she couldn't understand what I was saying. I was saying water, W-O-O-D-R. What she needed me to say was water. Yeah. And so I code sh- switched and I said, can I have a glass of water? And that's, like, a f- very mild form of code switching. Yeah, but now you say water. But now I say water because I've lived away from home for so long that I have, like, naturally code switched into this, like, other way of speaking, this other dialect. Yeah. As a way to fit in. Yeah. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Um, group identity. So people alter their language to express group identification. Like, when you're introducing members to a different group. You yeah. Know, you, you can see this is how they communicate with each other. So, like, to fit in, you change the way you communicate. Yeah. Whether it's language or body language, whatever. To soften or strengthen a command. So, I don't know. When you got in trouble, did your mom switch to Spanish? <laughs> or <laughs> no. you, did your grandmother? I mean, I don't know. You know, like, those <laughs> yeah, yeah. kinds of things. Like, you, your household might be English-speaking or Spanish-speaking, but then you switch to your native language when someone's getting in trouble. Yeah. Or, like, when you know they're really pissed off. Yeah, exactly. Lexical need. So people often use technical terms that are written a different language. So, for instance, saying, like, that was a faux pas. Mm-hmm. I used English and French, faux pas being the lexical term that is French. But if I say faux pas, you know what I mean, even though you don't speak French. Yeah. So that's, like, a form of code switching as well. Yeah, okay. Um, and so now I wanted to talk a little bit of, like, other little things that are considered code switching. Um so there's this thing called, in language, um, 
they're like language contact phenomenon. So the way that we use words um, as a form of code switching. So there's borrowing. So borrowing is a loan word. Um, and it's a word adopted from another language into our lexicon. Okay. Um, so, for instance, um, modus operandi mm-hmm. is a word that we use regularly in conversation, even though it's not <laughs> I English. I don't use it. <laughs> well, you know, like, you know, you say that we, serial the killer. Royal, yeah. yeah, the royal we, like, um, his MO, his modus operandi. People love yeah. serial killers, right? So, but that's not an English word, but we all know what that means. Yeah. Or, well, people use MO a lot. Exactly. Um, but I never knew what MO stood for. Oh, modus operandi. Well, now I know. Their mode of operating. Yeah. Um, wow, is code switching? I didn't even know it. Yeah. So it's it's a word adopted from one language, the donor language, and incorporated into another language without translation. So kindergarten is another one. So it's a German word. Kinder. Kinder eggs. Kindergarten is a garden of children. Yes. So <laughs> kindergarten. Um, Beautiful. Faux pas is a loan word or borrowing. Mm-hmm. That's French. Um, so then there's another language contact phenomenon called pigeons. It's a grammatically simplified means of communication that develops between two or more groups that do not have a language in common. So typically it's vocabulary and grammar that are limited um, and drawn from several languages. So my, <clears throat> when my dad, he's a contractor and he works with Spanish-speaking people. Yeah. And before my dad learned Spanish, he, they had to find ways to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And so when they would get together and talk... They weren't really speaking English or Spanish with each other. Yeah. They would had this, like, made-up thing between them that only they understood. Yeah. So, like, if I came into the conversation, I was like, huh? <laughs> you know? And, like, that's like a pigeon. Okay. Or, I feel like that's a lot of pointing and stuff, too. Yes, exactly. Um, and so then pidgins evolve into creoles, which are a stable, natural language that evolves from simplifying and mixing different languages. Oh, so is that what French Creole is? So that's what Haitian Creole is. It's a French Creole language developed during the Atlantic slave trade um, in the French colony of St. Dominique, now Haiti, with influences from Portuguese, Spanish, English, Taino, and West African languages. Yeah, I remember hearing a lot of Creole in Miami, and it does sound very similar to Spanish. Like, you can kind of make out some of the mm-hmm. words, so that makes sense. It's a mix. Right, of and I had a friend in college who spoke Haitian Creole, and for me, I could pick out all the French because I take yeah. so much French. You yeah. know, it's very interesting. Well, it's like um, Portuguese, too, and like Catalan in mm-hmm. Spain. If you know, you're even like French and Italian. I feel like a lot of those languages, if you know one of them, you can kind of like make out, especially when you're reading it, like on a menu. Exactly. You could make out what the words mean. Yeah. Um, and then a clack. A clack is a word or a phrase borrowed from another language by literal word-for-word, root-for-root translation. So in there's a French word called the Nouvelle Vague. That's like an artistic movement. Mm-hmm. And then in English, we translated it to the new wave. Nouvelle being new, vague being wave. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then, for instance, Superman in English is Superman, and in German it's Übermensch. Super being Uber, man being Munch. Interesting. That's a clock. Um, what, how do you spell clack? Clack is a clack or clock? C L A Q U E. So it's spelled like plaque, but with a C. Clack, yeah. Clack. Yeah. That could come up, guys. It could come up. And now you know. Yes. So I want to do, like, a couple quick examples of code switching, like, in pop culture or just, like, in everyday life. Okay. The biggest one being, most recently, Sorry to Bother You, directed mm-hmm. by Boots Riley. Um, Such a good movie, by the way. It is. That movie, like, I walked, 
I mean, it really, it goes crazy at the end. Like, it's so good. It is more than what I, I like, thought I knew what the movie was about. And yeah. I was like, what the They're hell? like, hello. Yeah. Hello. There's horses. What? Anyway. Hello. Spoiler. Sorry. We don't tell you what kind of horses are. No. Um, another one is Always Be My Maybe. It's that new Netflix Ali Wong film. Oh, yeah. I want to see that. Um, I think in the trailer, she, like, uses her phone voice early on. Um, when she's interviewing about her new restaurant and, like, when she gets off the phone, like, her relatives are like, what the fuck? Yeah. Um, I used to always make fun of my sister's phone voice when she ordered pizza. That's, She'd be like, hello. That's code switching. Yeah. That's code switching. It's so interesting. You feel the need to be so proper. nice and proper to Papa John's. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then there's also an article where we where they talked about Always Be My Baby about culinary code switching. So it's not just about language, yeah. but how we express ourselves as well. So Marcus, who is played by Randall Park, um, talks to Sasha, played by Ali Wong. Um, Sa- Sasha claims that her food is elevated and authentic. And he goes, I don't know why you're doing this kind of stuff now. It's not authentic. Asian food shouldn't be served in a shot glass. It should be served in a big-ass bowl. You're just catering to wi- rich white people. And in short, he's accusing her of culinary code switching. She's still cooking Asian food, native to her style, but her approach conforms to high society standards. Oh, she's presenting it in yes, a different way. Yes, exactly. Um, so that's like a different way you can code switch. Um, another example, like really, really popular, is Gloria Pritchett, played by Sofia Vergara in Modern Family. Mm-hmm. Um, she speaks Spanglish a lot of the time. Yeah. And like that is in itself a form of code switching. But there's a specific episode. Um, it's like episode 13 of season four. I don't know how to say that. Fulgenco? Fulgencio. Fulgencio. That's her son's name. Okay. And it's when her Colombian family comes to visit for a christening. Mm-hmm. And so there's like code switching like within that um, episode. Yeah. Between interacting with her husband and her family from that side and then her family from Colombia. Yeah. Um, and then I also found a really, really interesting study by a student from Kennesaw State University, Becca Tuck. It's called A Linguistic Phenomenon Code Switching in Media and Advertisement, where she talks specifically about Sofia Vergara um, and her um, social media account called Husay. Are you familiar with Husay? No. So Sofia Vergara uses this as like a social media account and like posts photos, whatever, but she um, also uses it to kind of promote modern family. Mm-hmm. Um, and she code switches within the, like, the... Caption? The ca- like, what she posts, yeah. So what she says on her caption would be, New Modern Family Esta Noche. That is code switching, saying yeah. New Modern Family Esta Noche, because it's Spanglish, right? Yeah. Happy Verde to my Tio Nando. Shooting Familia Moderna Thanksgiving episode. You know, like, yeah. those are versions of code switching that she does on social media to promote Modern Family. That's not the right translation be modern family she's looking at this grid yeah sorry becca she's not trying to pick apart your your paper some other like examples of code switching are politicians you know when they talk to large groups of people yeah um alexandria cosia cortez has been criticized specifically by trump for changing her accent to pander to different audiences she responded on twitter Ooh, what'd um, she say yes yeah, so be good okay so people like on the right, yes, have attacked AOC, saying that her kind of code switching, mm-hmm. code switching is what it is, is verbal blackface. It's fucking crazy. It's fucking crazy. Anyway, so her response was, next time you're told straight hair is unprofessional and that speaking like your parents is, like your parents do is 
uneducated, then you can complain about code switching. Code switching is a tool communities learn when they're told their voice, appearance, and mannerisms are unprofessional. So that was her response. Yeah. But she has she's done interviews about code switching before, and I, I'm going to share a couple articles on our blog about mm-hmm. this specifically. Um, I feel bad for her, but, you know, she does not hide that she's from the Bronx. Yeah. You know? But she does, when she is talking to people, she code switches, just like we all code switch. Yeah. Um, President Barack Obama also had, was also criticized for code switching, um, for using some versions of black English when speaking to black audiences. And his critics assumed that because he was an educated person, Obama's black English could not possibly be authentic and was therefore condescending. That is in itself, that thought, classist and racist, considering people think that black English is inherently uneducated. Um, Poor black people are by no means the only ones who code switch into black English. Worldwide, people code switch into non-standard dialects as part of the general palette of human expression. So, like... The language There's a lot you, to unpack here. Yeah. The language that you're using does not have anything to say about... It doesn't reflect your intelligence, like intelligence yeah. or education. Exactly. So that is a lot. Yes. Um, another example of code switching would be um, black people and people of color in predominantly white job settings. Mm-hmm. Um, they code switch the way they pronounce their names to make it easier to say. They might even change their names on their resumes to be yeah. able to get a chance at a job interview. That is code switching. Yeah. It's a way to, like, you know, it's like a survival instinct, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, too. Um, one last example would be um, newscasters. There's, you guys might or might not know if you watch the evening news, but all newscasters sound exactly alike. Yeah. Because they have to eliminate any regional dialect mm-hmm. to, so that they can be marketable. And that is in itself code switching by, like, eliminating or, like, switching from, like, your regional dialect to your non-regional to, like, a non-dialect. Yeah. To be able to be To the news the anchor dialect. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And like I said, I have found a lot of really interesting articles about this. I'm mm-hmm. going to share it on our blog. Um, that's at thegoodeveninggirls.com um, if you're interested. But that's code switching. That's code switching, baby. Well, that was very informative. Yeah. Um, Super interesting, right? Yeah. And sad. I it mean, is. like hopefully I feel like our generation is more like understands more that you yeah. do have different voices or whatever depending on your situation who you're talking yeah, to yeah I mean think about like how I text you versus how I text my boss yeah or even just talk I mean I still text my boss yeah like, <laughs> yeah your, your boss is cool but like <laughs> uh, you know like a stranger or something just the way you talk with your friends or the way we're talking now is different than how I would talk like if I'm on the phone for you know, something work-related. Exactly. And these are just, like, small versions of code switching. Like, yeah. code switching is, like, a huge cultural thing, too. Yeah, obviously ours, there's, like, no stakes in our code switching. Right. Except people might think we're vapid. But other yeah. than that, like, there's <laughs> there's no real stakes there. Right. Um, but for some people, it is, like, a necessity. Yeah. Well, I'm, I hope you all learned something this week. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us on our trip around the world. <laughs> the seven wonders of code switching. Yes. Um, Before we sign off, we want to ask you to rate, review, subscribe, please. Yes, please. It helps us because the more rates, re- ratings and reviews and subscribers we get, the bigger chance we have of being featured on New and Noteworthy. So please, these first couple us. weeks, we're begging you. We're desperate. We will do anything. <laughs> well, she might. <laughs> um, After you rate, review, and subscribe, Please follow us on Instagram. We're the Good Evening Girls on Instagram. Please follow us on Twitter. We're the Good Eve Girls on Instagram. Um, and check out our website, thegoodeveninggirls.com. Yeah, that's us. That's us, baby. That's it and that's all. We're the Good Evening Girls. I'm Chelsea. I'm Grace. See ya. Bye.